Morning, church, or afternoon. It's good to see you. I will be sharing the word with you this morning. I'm going to talk about the weight of worship. The last few weeks, Pastor he has been uh, talking about, you know, the power of praise in the midst of difficult situation. You remember? And he's been talking to us about, you know, how to shift your eyes from the difficult situation onto the Lord and praise Him. And uh, I was thinking, um, this is a really broad topic that will need few few more sessions. Uh, but at least I will try to really squeeze everything and give you the main things God has been highlighting to remind us this morning. Amen. Are you ready? Uh, so, as you know, praising God, exalting His name, declaring His praises is such a powerful tool. It's really powerful. I mean, you can see it. Paul and Silas in the prison. They were lifting their voice to God in hymns and praises, right? And what, what the Bible says that the foundations were shaken and their chains were loose. And uh, Psalms 22 talks about how he's enthroned on our praises, right? He's enthroned on the praises of his people. Uh, Psalms 8 talks about God ordained praise and thanksgiving from children, from infants to silence the foe, the enemy. Yeah. Um, and it is really powerful. I mean, I can, if I ask you, you raise your hands, how many of you have been changed in the midst of God's presence as we are declaring and praising? And I'm a witness. I, I, I mean, God has literally changed my life in worship, in praise. It's not because I'm a worship leader, but really even way before that came God has transformed my life because every time we come you know there's an interaction with the Lord with the Holy Spirit that happens that brings transformation and I mean literally character uh, desire purpose it has shaped you know how I wanted to live life and I was joking in the morning but I used to be skinny one day after worship ta-da you know I'm kidding that did not happen. <laughs> uh, but I believe uh, praise and worship, when it's done in the right spirit, when it's done in truth, by faith, it would definitely bring change in us. And it will definitely bring change in the atmosphere. Um, but the aspect that I wanted to talk about is a little bit deeper than the praise in our tongues. By the way, that bias of, you know, praise and worship in the sense of musical worship. I mean, it's a wide topic. We can, I mean, hopefully God will give us a time to talk about it. But it, it's really uh, amazing when you understand why you praise, when you understand from where you praise, who you are praising, it is really powerful. You cannot be silent. You cannot be quiet, Right? Uh, but I wanted to remind us few things that I don't want to be underestimated or forgotten when we talk about worship. All right. Uh, Psalms 34 talks about, says, I'll bless the Lord at all times and his praise will be or shall be continuously on my mouth. Continuously on my mouth. I will praise the Lord at all times. Like there's no time that you're not praising God. Right? And he said, his, his praise shall be in my, on my mouth continuously. There is a continuity of praise in David's lips. 
And you wonder, what is the source of this praise? Where does, the, where is, what is sustaining this Thanksgiving in David's life? Where is it coming from? What is the roots, you know, of this praise in David's life? Uh, is he not affected by daily burdens? Is his life free of trouble? There's nothing happening. Is he okay? Uh, is he in denial, maybe? Sometimes, you know, praising even in, in tough times feels like you're denying. Uh, but it's not about denial. Uh, I don't want to go to it, but there is one aspect of praise or one aspect, you know, if you see the Psalms, there are about six, seven types of songs. One of them is lament songs. Lament songs are sung in difficult times. When you lose somebody, when, you know, there's war, you know, they have, uh, something has happened, something disastrous has happened. But the nature of lament songs to your surprise, is not, you know, talking about the doom and how difficult thing, you know, life is. In the same mouth, David is acknowledging this happened. My life is in ruins. Have you forsaken me? Have you forgotten me? David also shifts their attention and he speaks things of faith and trust right in the middle. He said, but you, O Lord. He puts, but you, O Lord, are enthroned. But you, O Lord, are good, are love. You are worthy. He declares. It's like, is he confused? What's going on? He needs counseling. But this is the nature of lament songs. Is not to just talk about everything is dark and gloomy and it's done. But to bring God's greatness into the picture. Amen. Now, David had so many troubles. At one point, I mean, everybody wanted to kill him. In fact, he said, there is one step left between me and death. Remember when he said, I mean, Saul had wanted to kill him. I mean, he had made his personal purpose to be killing David. Like, remember that? Like whatever opportunity he gets, he wants to kill David. And people will betray him. So much will happen. But he always sought the Lord. He always praised the Lord. Right? Can I continue? So... Where does true praise and worship flow from? What is the source? Where is it coming from? It doesn't end on what we say on our lips. It doesn't end with what, you know, sing and declare. There is a source. There is a pool that he's drawing from. And like I said, this is a very diverse conversation, but I wanted to pick a few things. So Romans 12, 1. Psalms 145, 148, 150. Actually, if you see the last uh, portions of the book of Psalms, it's a declaration of praise one after the other because of his work, because of his love, because he's our creator, because he has done this, because he has done that. He goes on and on and on. I'll come to Romans 12, 1, sorry. Uh, can we just read Psalms 145 just to show you what I mean? Hopefully you will go read the rest of the, the chapters at home. Um, did we get it? From verse 1. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. 
I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will pro proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of your glory, the, the glory of your kingdom. Speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. And he goes on and on and on. If you see the next chapter, 147, 148, 149, please do see it. He just adores and exalts God for many reasons. For many reasons. So, worship is attributing worth, adoration, reverence to God. Worship is attributing worth, adoration, reverence to God. It is an act, it is an offering, it is a sacrifice, it is a covenant, it's a relationship. It's also a song, an outburst of thanksgiving and exaltation. Exodus 20 tells, God tells them, worship me, worship me only, do not worship any other God, do not worship any idol, you are supposed to worship me. Remember? So, we ought to worship God and ascribe glory and honor, attribute, you know, value. Give Him what is precious, what is good, what has value to Him. That's worship. And this goes way, way deeper than the songs we sing, right? How many things in your life can you count are really good and valuable? For one, you can talk about my family, my children, my marriage, my money, you can say my work, oh, my dream. You can talk about so many things that you hold precious or good. This is, you know, God's blessing in my life. But in all that, we are supposed to attribute glory to God. What is valuable to us, we yield to Him, we give to Him. We worship God and we worship Him because of His nature, because of His attributes, because of His character right? We worship Him because of His name. We worship Him because of His words, His promises. We worship Him because of what He has done and what He continuously does in our lives. And the greatest thing that He's done for us is He's given us His Son Jesus as a gift for life, right? So we have many reasons. This is why we praise God, because He is our maker. He is our creator. He is the one who has given us breath. Actually, in Acts it says, in Him we live and move and have our being, our very existence is in Him. So that's, and in Revelation it says that by your will they exist. To adore, to worship, to glorify God. Amen. When do we praise God? According to Psalms 34, it says, at all times. He doesn't say once a week in church. When the worship team is doing such a, you know, the kind of songs that I like, the songs that make me, you know what I'm saying, that bring all those, uh, yeah, moves within you. Uh, it doesn't say that. He says at all times. 
we don't only worship God as a congregation as we come together. Actually, I pray what we do here will inspire you to go and worship God in your closet and your private time alone. When you are taking care of your kids, when you are doing the dishes in your house, you're cooking, you're working in the office. There has to be a continuous flow of praise out of you. That's it. At all times. In everything. In all situations. In every season of the soul. We ought to praise God. We ought to worship God. What comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? Quickly, on top of your head. Singing, right? How many agree singing? Yeah, that, that's usually the first thing that comes, right? Singing. When we hear the word worship, immediately you see the worship team. Or immediately you think of a song that you see, right? Why is that? We have attached worship only with music, only with singing. Where did that come from? Where did we get it? By the way, it's amazing. It's beautiful. I'm telling you, I, I love worshiping with music, with singing. But where, why do we think only worship is attached with that? Who told us it is that way? Who trained, us our, who trained our mind that way? Is it us? Is it the worship leaders? Maybe. It might be. <laughs> it might be. But worship goes way beyond the music, the songs we sing. Before you started singing, you existed to worship. Your very existence ought to be worship. And... Um, why didn't you think about other things when you think about worship? What things could we think about? What things are there when we think about worship? It's like a class. So you can raise your hands and answer. You can do it. I mean it. I actually long to see that. Yes, Emma? Work. What? Yes, work. What else can you think of worship? What, what comes to you? I mean, what is there? Yes, are you? Obedience. I like that. Come on, you're calling them out. Anybody from the back? You can think of giving, right? Yeah? You can think of raising your children. Let me, let me bring something very practical to you right now. If you ordered a pizza, I know the timing is very bad to talk about pizza. But if you ordered a pizza, a full pizza, but you only got one slice, will you be happy? No, you won't, especially when you're hungry. Worship and music is that one slice that comes. There is a whole lot left over that we don't usually talk about. Do you understand? That's one slice. Or a pie. You can think about a pie. Yeah, for some reason. Apple pie. I don't know. Sorry. Ambasha. You can think of so many things. But we have a tendency to think of that one slice. But what, how about the rest of them? When do we talk about them? Do we actually worship God in those places? Um, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Worship is everything and anything you do in your body for the glory of God. Actually, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Do everything, even your drinking and your eating, for the glory of God. Eating and drinking for the glory of God. I mean, it's not like God is saying, yes, he's eating. But the energy, the strength you get from that sustenance is going to be used for you to serve God and to do good, right? That's the idea. But he brings it 
to that level, you need to think about worship to eating and drinking. Isn't that amazing? This is probably the highlight for me in this season. Whenever I am doing anything, I could be playing with my kids or putting my kids to sleep. I could be uh, working or reading, uh, studying, whatever it is, considering it intentionally stepping back, one, two steps back and thinking, I'm going to worship God through this. I'm going to designate this for God, right? So he's telling us everything you do, everything you do is supposed to be done for the glory of God. Nothing left. Nothing left for you, actually. The beautiful thing is God has given us everything for our enjoyment. He's a good father. But then what we do with that has to reflect back to him for his glory. Everything you do in your body, in your life, is supposed to be worship. Speaking for his glory, eating for his glory, giving for his glory, succeeding in life for his glory, not so you can shine, but for his glory, breathing for his glory, working for his glory, everything and everything at all times for his glory. And, and the Christian life is identified by this. That you live for God's glory. You don't live for self. You don't live. Actually, there's a very dangerous thing that is happening in our time and generation. Have you heard of self-help or maybe even a bit of loving self? And it kind of puts too much light on you and makes you the center of your life. It's about what you feel, do what you feel when you feel like it, right? It brings you sort of to the center of your life. Now with Jesus, either you die, okay? Either you die and live for him, or you can't have both. You can't, you can't be at the center of your life and Jesus, me and Jesus at the center. It doesn't work like that. Self has to die. Dream, desire, plan, have a purpose, do everything. But let Jesus be the center of it all. You know what priority is? Usually you think of priority, number one, number two, number three. God first, and then the ministry or family, and then this, and then this. But that's not what the Bible says. You can see the book of Ephesians. It is God in everything. He is all in all. God in everything. That is supposed to be the case. So it's not supposed to be for us. It doesn't end on us. It has to end on him. It has to end at his feet. Amen? All right. If you wonder if, if there are a few things left for you, no, there are nothing. There's nothing left for you. Everything is for him. If it is supposed to be true, biblical, pleasing to God kind of worship, it is all for him. Your work, your home, your family, your marriage, your money, your I mean, whatever, whatever you like, your talent, your skills, your gifts, everything ought to bring glory to God. Everything ought to be used to bring glory to God. Now, there's one thing I feel like uh, that is neglected or misused when we think about worship. Uh, we we're talking with Miso earlier about this. Uh, there is a division of secular life and Christian life. Sometimes we tend to divide our lives into two. 
Oh, this is stuff that I do outside of church and this is stuff that I do in church. Can I tell you, there is no division. There is no two life. You can't be a double agent. There is only one life. There is only one life. So I think this will be hypocrisy when we act in a certain way in church, in Christian circle, but we act in a certain way outside because we have divided. This is my life outside. And this is my life in church. You're supposed to live the same life. You're supposed to be the same person everywhere. You're supposed to do everything for God's glory anywhere, anywhere. Now, one of the things that I want to ask you, how did Adam serve God? How do you think Adam worshipped God? How do you think that he worshipped God? Just think about it for a moment. In the garden, how did Adam wor worship? Was there a worship team? Was there songs? Were there like in the garden speakers? Blasting worship songs? <laughs> how do you think he worshipped? We were discussing this with the worship team a few, few weeks back. Adam worshipped God by two things. He fellowshiped with God, but he worked for God. His work, the assignment God had given him in the garden, is the way he worshipped God. You never hear about music or anything else in Genesis 1. Actually, you never hear about music until Genesis 4. Genesis 4, Jubal is the person who started. He was the father of those who play flutes and harps. That's when you hear music in the picture, right? You never hear about music before that. So for Adam, worshiping God looked like he was in fellowship with him. And then he worked. It was very practical. You are gardening. You are taking care of the animals. Naming this animal a giraffe, that one a donkey. It was so practical. And the weight of our worship has to come to a level where our work itself needs to be sanctified unto the Lord. Um, in this, maybe, I don't know if it is the same everywhere, but there is a tendency to think work is not worship. Whatever you do, finance, you are in construction, it doesn't matter what you do. And you might wonder, how is that worship, you know? But everything you do practically with your hands is, suppo is supposed to be worship. I will, I will highlight this later when we talk about Romans 12.1. But Adam worshipped God through work. And worship doesn't only happen when you come in church circle. But in your office, what you do in excellence, what you do in righteousness, what you do in faithfulness, is an expression of worship. When you do it, I am working. Yes, of course, I'm going to earn stuff like that. But I'm going to work for the glory of God. That way, you will be a light in your workplace. As Christians, our mission is to preach the gospel to all creation, make disciples, right? That's the mission. Where are you going to do that? In your workplace. When you do what you do and set an example in your workplace, be a light. Like, think about Daniel, Joseph. You know, it's amazing. They showed God in their work. Administration. They showed God in their faithfulness of day-to-day -day work. Okay? So I, I pray that we don't spiritualize things too much and forget these practical things. Work for God. Do your work very well. And let that character, let that faithfulness show who you are serving. I and mean, people could ask you, how are you working this diligently in this kind of work environment? You can say, I serve God. 
I do everything I do for God. I guarantee you it's going to shift your energy in the office because you see it as a worship unto God. I mean, imagine if you start your work with prayer and say, God, I give this to you. I'm going to work. I'm going to do everything, but I'm going to do it for your glory. God is going to give you favor. God is going to give you favor so people can listen to what you say. Amen. Are you with me? Our work is very important. If you are a parent, raise your children so well for God. Raise them for God. Don't just let them grow. Okay? Raise them intentionally for God's glory. So they can live for God tomorrow. If you are a teacher, go teach your students so well. To a point God's spirit will move within you. And they will be curious. I wonder why my teacher is this so, like, so good, so kind, like so diligent in teaching me. And you create curiosity. You know, I used to, I used to be a teacher. I used to teach IT. And uh, I remember there were times some of my students would come and ask me, what religion do you go? What, what, what is your religion? What do you believe? And I always wonder what is making them curious to ask me about this. But one, one attitude I had was, I'm going to use every opportunity to create curiosity. I'm going to do it so well. I'm going to teach them well. But I'm going to create curiosity. Somehow, I will get the chance to share the gospel with them. And I had the chance to share the gospel with many of them. I mean, that is your stage. I mean, this is the stage we've seen, but that is your stage. If you do business, do it in righteousness. Do it in excellence. Do it for God's glory. No separation of this, you know, church and outside world. Amen. Okay, I need to go faster than I have been. In the Old Testament, you see Adam working as a worship. You see Abel and Cain worship God through sacrifice. The best of, you know, their flock or, you know, their harvest. There's nothing as they knew. Later on, you see Noah setting up an altar, offering to God, right? The crescendo keeps going until you see maybe, especially in David's life, this musical expressions of worship and thanksgiving came to the picture where he has set up a choir, musicians with outfits, all kinds of things. He was like all out, all out. And it's a beautiful thing. And it continues... It moves from, you know, so think about it. It's so practical. It's something that is visible, but it's not only music. That's what we said, right? Just keep that in mind. It is very practical. Um, my point in short is worship is supposed to be practical, a day-to-day -day thing, not just a portion or a slice of thing, right? It's supposed to be expressed in everything. Like, I mean, just in everything. Whatever your life looks like, whatever is valuable in your life, God wants it as a worship, as an offering, as a sacrifice. Honor God in everything. Can I go to the next part? So we're still talking about what brings our worship weight, right? Considering thinking about everything as worship and doing everything for God's glory brings weight. When we open our lips and sing, there's so much weight in what we say. Because we've been living in it throughout the week. Amen. 
If I ask you, how many of you have seen God use you in your workplace for his glory? Because you are so good at your work. Can you show me your hand? It's okay. Don't be humble. You, yes, I like that. I bet there are many more people that have seen God's hand when you decided to do it so well. All right. Now, the next thing that I want to talk about is our thought life, our inner life. Uh, the greatest commandment in, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven and also Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6, 5 adds with all your strength, right? So the other thing I believe adds up weight to our worship is what's going on inside in our thought life. Um, heart, mind, soul is all about your inner life, your spirit being, your inner being. Uh, your thoughts, your desires, imaginations, dreams, your will, your pursuits. And this part, the inside part, is what defines your outer life. It is from the overflow of the heart, right? It comes out from within your heart. And it is so important to sanctify the inner life and uh, really uh, give it unto the Lord. God has to be honored in that place. And... David said, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. The meditation. Meditation isn't about that one thought that crossed your mind. Meditation is very intentional. I'm not talking about worldly meditation where you go sit immediately, you think, hum. No, constantly engaging your mind to think about God's word. Constantly engaging your mind to ponder on God's word. Are you with me? That is meditation. God told Joshua, he commanded him, meditate on the slow, day and night, and you will be successful in all your ways. Remember that? This is an amazing commandment and an art that I think is getting forgotten in the body of Christ now. Um, how many of you were thinking in worship? We were talking about this with the worship team. Uh, sometimes we think worship is like, um, you know, like that, uh, that flow of music, just the vibe that is created. And you just feel such a good, peaceful thing in your heart. You're like, hmm. And it's also very important, crucial, by the way. Your emotions are part of you. They're supposed to, you're supposed to worship God in your emotions. Shouting, dancing, clapping. It's an expression of joy, you know, gratitude. It's very important. But how many of you think and ponder about God's word when you are worshiping? When you are in this setting? How many times do you think about God's word? How many times do you intentionally go to scripture and meditate on it? Wrestle with it? Think about it? It's amazing. When we do it right, it actually has the power to strengthen our thinking, to strengthen our mind. We start thinking like God. We start thinking according to scripture. Are you with me? Not just memorizing, but meditating. Praying God's word. Singing, praying God's word. Like really, open Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... Wait on that. Praise God that he's your shepherd. Exalt him about that. Think about what it looks like in your day-to-day -day life that he's your shepherd. Really taking time to think, to ponder, to digest God's word. 
This is such a crucial part of our worship. Because worship is led by truth. If we don't contemplate on truth, how are we worshiping? Why are we worshiping? What is it based upon? Are you with me, church? There has to be that continuous overflow. Just so much word going on in you. Uh, the Bible says in Colossians, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell in you richly. No, no, it doesn't say grab one uh, verse. No, he said, let his word dwell in you richly. Abundance. You have his word for all occasions of life. Amen. How much do we think about God's word? Every aspect matters. Our work and what we do in the outside and our hands matters. What we think matters. Now, let's go to Romans 12.1. I was talking about this. Uh, I mean, I've been saying we're going to go there. Now, from the Old Testament, from beginning of time, things have escalated to a point now what God calls worship is here, here, here it is. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper acceptable worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to taste and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen? That's it. I think we can go home now. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. In the Old Testament, if you see Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, the sacrificial system was very messy. So much blood, so much death, so many ships crying out. I don't want to go to the altar. I don't want to be sacrificed there. And then, you know, it's, it's amazing. God says, oh, uh, burn the fats, you know. Have you smelled when fat burns? And it's not that amazing. But it's a place of death. It's a place of surrender. It's a place where there is something is dying and something is rising. Are you with me? So he's saying, just like that, not just, a, you know, a, he said a living sacrifice. That means you're going to feel some pain. When you choose to live this kind of life, he's saying in your body, in the members of your body, or like everything you do with this body, let it honor God. And it was a place of death, surrender. And you can't remain on the altar and uh, be on the altar and remain cute. It's not comfortable. Have you like touched a grill that is very hot? Yeah, like what you do is, uh, no, Jesus name, not for me. You know, many times our tendency as people is we want to run away from hardship. We want to run away from hard situations. We as much as possible want to be comfortable. We don't want to confront. We don't want to confront people. We don't want to confront situations. We don't want to confront, I mean, life really. We don't want to wait on the Lord patiently. I want to do, I want it fast right now, here, right? That's what we are, right? God tells you, wait, and you're like, Jesus, but we need to go fast, you know? We want to avoid everything that is painful. But it's in pain that your true sacrifice rises to the Lord. 
on the altar, there is a lot of repentance. There's a lot of surrender. There's a lot of forgiving. There's a lot of asking forgiveness, humbling yourself and saying, I'm so sorry. Humility. Spitting out the bitterness from your heart. There is a lot of yielding your plans and say, God, I wanted things to go this way, but it didn't go. So I'm just going to go your way. All right. Yielding your plan. It's a lot of giving up of sin. Should I say it again? I know this one is like very tough one. There's a lot of giving up of sin. You have to walk away from evil. You have to walk away from certain things. That you know don't honor God, don't please God. And scripture clearly says it. That is sin. And you try to polish it. You try to even get verses to justify it. No, it's sin. You got to walk away. That's what it looks like to be on the altar. We'll come back to that another time. There's a lot of pursuing righteousness. Lots of tears, lots of pain. And you, heat, you feel the heat of the grill and you won't be the same. Remain on the altar. God says, stay there. Stay there. I know you want to run away. Stay there. Let me finish my work. Let me take, let me kill yourself, self, your ambition. Let me bring my Jesus, my son in you. Let me paint him in you. Hallelujah. James 2, 17 says, true religion or worship is to care for orphans and widows and keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. And never forget the caring of orphans and widows. It is our job. Like, like the Amari team is doing, taking care of prisoners. It is our job. It's very practical. Doing that is also worship. But it says, also keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. By the way, do you know Addis Ababa is one of the most polluted cities? You know how you know? Go to Ntoto, look. Or go out of town where there is fresh air. And you realize, oh my goodness, this is so polluted. When, if you don't intentionally get out of your you know, day-to-day thing, get in the world, get in his presence, you will not know how polluted you, the world is. You got to keep yourself from that pollution. You got to repeatedly go back to the word, repeatedly go back to the presence of God so that you can know what fresh air looks like. Amen? Otherwise, you're polluted, you're breathing the world and you would not know it. And you, you're just saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord, but you're polluted by the world. Your thinking is polluted by the world. Your lifestyle is polluted by the world. We got to renew our mind. Amen. Of course, Hebrews 13 tells us through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So definitely we got to praise God. It is amazing. But one fuels the other. When you learn to praise God with your words, acknowledge him, it challenges you to go back, give everything else. When you give everything else, man, you come back with so much song and so much praise unto the Lord. I'm about to finish, by the way. Um, when I, th- I was thinking about worship like this, I was thinking about a spear. And a spear has different parts. It has the blade, right? The sharp part. And it has also the, the wooden part. They call it shaft. And for the spear to hit something, to hit a target, you can't just throw the blade alone. 
you have to have the weight behind it. And so what we've been talking about is, is where the weight is. And then the blade is the praise and thanksgiving that comes out of us. That's what silenced the enemy, right? But the weight of our worship, like I said, is not what that slice, that one slice. It's the rest of the slice. Amen. You gotta use worship as, as that spear. And we gotta focus on the weight. We can't keep thinking worship is music or singing. And God wants everything, by the way. He wants the whole pizza. He wants the whole pie. All right? Amen. All right. Two more things. I'm going to be very quick. In John 4, 21, 24, Jesus was having conversation with the Samaritan woman. And she was telling him, you know, we worship on this mountain, but you guys stay in Jerusalem. And he told her, you worship whom you don't know. But we worship the one we know because salvation is from Jews. Do you remember? So they, the, the Samaritan woman is worshiping, but she doesn't know who she is worshiping. And then again, he tells her later, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the other aspect of our worship has, like I said earlier, needs to be deeply rooted in the knowledge of God's word. It needs to be deeply rooted in truth. Otherwise, we can worship, but we don't know who we are worshiping. And the Holy Spirit will continuously teach us His Word. So that as we are enlightened by the truth, our worship will be pure. Our worship will be weightier and heavy. Amen. I'm going to close in this. So the knowledge of God is important. Our meditation is important. Consecrating everything we do and have is very important. By the way, these are a few things we talked about. Earlier we talked about obedience, you know. Giving is another way you worship God. And hopefully another time. But for now, I want to close with this idea. Worship is response. Worship is a response. We don't initiate worship. There's a reason I'm saying this. Worship, we worship God because he told us to worship him. He commanded us to worship him. For the Israelites, he went, delivered them from Egypt and said, now worship me. Right? That's how he did it. He created man and he said, now worship me. He is the alpha. He is the beginning of our worship. We don't worship to instigate. You know, the difference between pagan worship and Hebrew worship was this. In pagan worship, they are the ones who go, offer a sacrifice, they do chanting to invoke the spiritual realm to respond in their life, in their current situation. Maybe they need protection. Maybe they need provision. Maybe they need healing. Maybe they need a child. They, they need something. So they are doing all that. And actually they go as far as even sacrificing their children, which God despised and hated, to impress demons, to impress their gods. Do you understand? And God hated it. God hated it. But for us, worship is a response to God, to His nature, to His work, to His word, to His name, to what He's done on the cross. It's a response that we give to Him right? We, it doesn't stop. You remember like in 1 John it says, we love him because he 
first loved us. He is always the one who's initiated it. Why I'm saying this is sometimes, sometimes we have that manipulative attitude to use worship to make God do what we want. We say all the right things, somehow thinking that will, you know, make God excited and do something about our lives. This is, this is now about motive. This is about the deepest part. This is where God has to like really separate through the sword of his word, right? You got to let God go there. Why do you worship? If God did not do anything for you, do you know there is enough reason to worship him? If he doesn't add one single thing today, there is already enough reason to worship God. Enough reason. Enough. You existing. That's enough. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Breath is the very, the lowest reason why we praise God. So I'm challenging. Let us be careful with our intentions. God is not going to be moved by how cute and how amazing our music and our songs are. God sees the heart. He sees the weight of your worship, where you are obeying, where you are on the altar, where your body is consecrated for him. That's what he sees. Let, let not religion deceive us to think that doing all that is done, but I'm going to live my life however I want. God wants it all. God wants all that. Amen? How's, how heavy is your worship? How pure is your worship? How righteous is your motive? We have to worship Him in the way He has asked us to worship Him. Walking in His ways and obeying His word. Following Him daily. Let me close with this verse. In Psalms 50.23. Uh, because we usually quote this verse, but there is a part that we never quote. Now, those who sacrifice, thank offerings, honor me, and to the blameless, I will show my salvation. Usually we say those who sacrifice, thank offer, offer, like, offer thanksgiving, honor me, right? We stay there. But to the blameless, I will show my salvation. Uh, can I say it in Amharic and I'll explain what I mean? Yemis garan maswati misawa yakabrinyal. Mangadunum kanalem yadirk yigzabirin madana sayoalo. It's not only he who offers thanksgiving, but he also strengthens his path. He also walks on the way of the Lord. And he says, For that person, I'll show my way. Hallelujah. I know it's a bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, you've taken it well, but I hope you take it home and really wrestle with it and allow God to purify your heart and to speak to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for speaking and encouraging and uplifting and challenging us to live for you. And you alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of our lives. We live for you, for, but for no one else, God. We will stop living for ourselves and we will live for you, God. We give ourselves to love you and to love others. We want to be like Jesus. 
We want to think like Jesus. We want to do our daily life like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. Can you say, I want to be like Jesus, if that's your desire. I want to look like Jesus. I want to speak. I want to love. I want to think like Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You got the highest glory.